0: And let's ask for God's help. Gracious Father, we thank you that your word is living and active, for it is your word, the true and living God. Father, please cut us to our hearts that we would turn to Jesus, uh, that we would trust him and obey him. Father, may your your word do your work in our lives. Please help me to speak your word faithfully and clearly and lovingly, Father. Uh, Please help me now. In Jesus' name, amen. You learn a lot about what's important to someone by their prayers. And you learn what is essential to someone by what they pray just before they die. Uh, If I was sitting at your deathbed, I wonder what you would pray for. Because I think these things that you pray for would show me what is absolutely essential to you. I would be able to see right into your heart by the things you pray for, because these things, right before you die, are the things of absolute importance. I think the same is true of Jesus. We have arrived at the hour of his death. And this is where John's gospel has been leading us to. This is the moment that Jesus has been preparing his disciples for in this last meal that they share together in a matter of hours. The cross awaits Jesus, where he will die for the sin of the world. Jesus has been telling his disciples that he will soon leave them and return to his Father. And now Jesus, as it were, prays his deathbed prayer. And we see right into his heart. And it's breathtaking. This prayer is glorious. This prayer is full of loving, other-centeredness. This prayer gives us this insider's view into the relationship between Jesus the Son and God his Father. And what is amazing is that in the hour of Jesus' humiliating and lonely death on a wooden cross, Jesus was praying for you and for me. Uh, This prayer is like a beautiful tapestry. You know, you can stand back and take in its beauty at a glance, but you can also go right up close and observe its stitches to see the significance of those stitches. And unfortunately, we only have time to stand back and glance at its beauty. But it would be well worth your while to look more closely at Jesus' prayer in your own time. Well, we're going to survey this prayer in three parts. Firstly, Jesus prays about his relationship with his Father. Secondly, Jesus prays for his disciples. And thirdly, Jesus prays for other believers. Well, firstly, Jesus prays about his relationship with his Father. Uh, To create a tapestry, uh, you start with a loom. And and I'm an expert because I was watching YouTube videos, okay? Uh, The loom is the wooden frame on which you apply your thread. And the first thing you need to do is you need to warp the loom. And the warps are the threads that run from the top to the bottom of the loom. These warps are the foundation of your tapestry. Jesus is warping the loom when he prays about his relationship with his Father. The relationship between Jesus the Son and God the Father lays the foundation for the rest of this prayer. Without this relationship, there is no tapestry. Now, two things I want to draw your attention to that Jesus prays about in his relationship with his Father. Jesus warps the loom with glory and love. Glory and love. Well, firstly, glory. Verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that your Son may glorify you. Verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Verse 10, All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. You know, when you think of glory in the Bible, you think of God's goodness, God's splendor. You think of his awesome majesty. Think of Moses back in chapter 33, when God hides Moses in the cleft of a rock so that God's glory could go past Moses without destroying him. And all Moses could do was catch a glimpse of God's glory, otherwise he would have been destroyed. Think of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah stands in the throne room of God, when he witnesses these giant seraphim, these angels, and God seated on his throne, and he is terrified because he knows he is a sinner in the presence of a holy and glorious God. The awesome glory, we're told in verse 5, is shared between God the Father and God the Son. Even before the world was created, we're told, even before anything was created, this glory was there between God the Father and God the Son. And we saw glimpses of this glory in the earthly ministry of Jesus, verse 4, when he did his works. When he spoke his words, Jesus brought glory to his Father. And all of this is leading us to the climax of this glory, So much so that Jesus prays about it right at the start of this prayer in verse 1. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And what's unexpected for the disciples is not that Jesus prays for glory, but where they will see the glory of the Son and the Father. And that is at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to them back in chapter 12, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. How? He spoke about a single seed that needs to die, speaking of his death on the cross, that this seed that dies would produce many seeds that live. Jesus dies in order that many others might know eternal life by knowing him in verse 3. Know Jesus, you know life. You see, what's amazing is that the Father and the Son don't want to keep this glory to themselves. They want to share this glory. Look at verse 24 in speaking of those who believe in Jesus. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. That's an incredible verse, isn't it? Jesus had glory before the creation of the world, and now he is going to be glorified on the cross in order to open up the way for those the Father has given him so that they could share in that glory. Think of the glory of that Isaiah and Moses glimpsed. Jesus is opening a way for those who believe to somehow share in that glory. It's staggering, isn't it? And the second thing I want you to notice in that verse, verse 24, Is love. You know, Jesus warps the loom of this tapestry not just with glory, but underneath this glory is love. Notice again what existed before anything else existed. Before God the Father, Son, and Spirit created the world, there existed love. You know, sometimes we think that God needs us somehow. You know, God needs us. He made us because he needs us. And the truth is, he doesn't need us. You loved me before the creation of the world, verse 24. Look at the beautiful other-centered relationships between God, the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity, between God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. There has always been love, other-centered love. God didn't need us. He didn't need to create us in order to love. We are not needed for God to be complete. And yet, how mind-blowing it is that the Father and the Son still want to include us in this love. Verse 23, Jesus says, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. For God so loved the world, a world that was made through his Son, a world that hated his Son, a world that he sent his Son into so that his Son might die for the sin of the world, so that those in the world who believe in the Son might know love and life from the Son. The Father loves the Son, and both the Father and the Son love the world so much that they are willing to invite anyone who believes into this love. Now, you know, when someone shares something very personal to you, When they open their heart to you. I I sometimes feel like I'm I'm standing on sacred ground because it is such a privilege when someone opens their heart to you. And think of what Jesus is doing in this prayer. We get a glimpse into the nature of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son before the creation of the world. We are standing on sacred ground. Jesus is opening his heart and his Father's heart to us. Uh, this prayer is often called the great high priestly prayer of Jesus, where Jesus intercedes on our behalf before God. But but I think that's not the heart of this prayer. It's not firstly about us. The heart of this prayer is to listen to the Son talk to his Father and speak about their glory and love. It is humbling. But then it is absolutely stunning to think that the Father and the Son who shared eternal glory and eternal love would even for one moment want to include us in that glory and love. And it's stunning, not only because they didn't have to, It's stunning because we don't deserve to share in this glory and love. When Jesus prayed to his Father, he had you in mind. Think about that until you are humble and thankful. But the start of Jesus' prayer raises questions. How will a sinful world know eternal life unless, unless they come to know Jesus? Well, the Father and the Son have a plan, and Jesus has more to pray about because of this plan. Here's the second point. Jesus prays for his disciples. Now, after you warp the loom, you begin weaving the wefts. Okay, try saying that really quickly. If the warps are the threads that run up and down the loom, the wefts are the threads that run across the warps. And the wefts go under and over and under and over the warps. And the warps hold the wefts in place. And the wefts in the tapestry of Jesus' prayer is what Jesus prays for others. Firstly, his disciples and those who will come to believe in Jesus through the disciples. And these wefts are held in place by the glory and the love of the Father and the Son. Well, let's look at these prayers one by one. Jesus prays for the protection of the disciples. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus is returning to his Father and will no longer be able to protect his disciples by being with them. Jesus has chosen them out of the world, but now he is still leaving them in the world, a world that is hostile to them as much as it is hostile to him. And the unity of the disciples is under threat by the world's hostility. And so Jesus prays for them to be protected by his name. Without this unity, the disciples cannot fulfill the task they are given by Jesus to testify about him. And this prayer of protection has the ultimate purpose of showing the world that the loving unity that exists between the disciples comes from the loving unity between the Father and the Son. Well, Jesus prays also for all the disciples' joy. Verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. As we've been looking at these chapters, uh, since he tells them that he will be leaving them, the disciples, they are gripped by fear. They are gripped by anxiety and confusion. And soon when the disciples witness the crucifixion of Jesus, they will be overwhelmed with grief and fear. But Jesus is asking God to turn this grief into joy. That the terror, that the fear of the cross would be replaced with lasting joy when they understand the love and the glory of the cross. And the disciples do understand this joy when the Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost in the book of Acts. Peter the timid, the one who denies Jesus three times, becomes Peter the tiger who preaches the cross of Christ with courage and conviction. Jesus prays for the sanctification of the disciples, verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. To be sanctified is to be set apart from sinful purposes for God's purposes. And we're told in verses 7 and 8 that the disciples obeyed the words of Jesus. They accepted the words given from the Father and the Son, and it is this truth that sanctifies them, that sets them apart. It is not their own efforts that sanctify themselves, otherwise, Jesus would not have prayed for them. God's sanctification can only come through God revealing the truth of Jesus Christ to us. And here, for Jesus to sanctify himself means for Jesus to continue setting himself apart to do his Father's will right to the very end. Uh, Growing up in church, I thought that it was easy for Jesus to do what he came to do, which is to die on the cross. And as I read the Bible, I saw how hard it was. Because in the other Gospels, we read of Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in another prayer, he asks God if it is possible to take away the cup of suffering, what he is facing on on the cross, that God would take that cup from him. And he also prays, though, in that prayer, yet not what I will, but your will. And it is this way that Jesus sanctifies himself, even to the point of death for the sin of the world. And Jesus wants the disciples also to be sanctified to the very end so that they will share in his glory. You see, what Jesus is doing is he is sending them into the world, verse 18. The disciples are to proclaim the message of Jesus to a hostile world so that others might believe in the message of Jesus. As Jesus was sent on a mission by his Father, so too the disciples are being sent on a mission and Jesus wants them to be faithful to this mission. Well, did God answer this part of the prayer? And the answer is yes. You know, when you read the book of Acts and you see how the apostles were protected and sanctified by Jesus as they testified to Jesus, and when you read the book of Acts, you see them singing hymns with joy when they are imprisoned, when they count it an honor to be beaten and flogged for Jesus. Yes, God answered this prayer. When you see the Apostle John, who was protected and sanctified by God as he wrote this gospel. And John tells us why he wrote this gospel in John chapter 20, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name we might find life. God answered Jesus' prayer. But the tapestry is not yet finished. Jesus prays for one more group who will believe the message of Christ as proclaimed by the disciples, and we also are included in this group. Jesus prays for us. The third point, Jesus prays for other believers. What does he pray? Well, he prays for the unity of believers. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message And what we see here is this language of oneness. The Father is in the Son. The Son is in the Father. And if we had more time, we could unpack this further, but we don't. But at the very least, this oneness speaks of a deep unity. And this oneness extends to the Son and those who believe in the Son. Verse 23, Jesus says, I in them. And Jesus prays that this oneness would also be present in the believers with each other. Verse 21, that all of them may be one. But notice that there is a purpose to this unity, and that purpose is mission. Verse 23, that the world will know the love of the Father and the Son. The world hates Jesus enough to crucify him, but if God answers the prayer of Jesus then the world will be able to see the oneness of the followers of Jesus. And they'll be able to trace the loving unity back to the source. And that is the loving unity between the Father and the Son. Now that raises the question of, of whether we see that unity between believers of Christ today. And you could be forgiven for thinking that there. There doesn't seem much unity. There's so many disparate branches of the church, so many different denominations, so many different churches. Has God really answered this prayer? Now, we must remember in this passage that unity comes through truth. Remember what Jesus prayed? Sanctify them by your truth. It is only by believing the truth of Jesus It's only by believing the word of the apostles that we can be one with other believers. So we cannot be united just for the sake of unity. No, we are united by the truth of the gospel of Christ. But it is true that we ought to say that regardless of what denominational brand or marking we have, if we believe in Jesus Christ, I have brothers and sisters in Christ in other denominations. Galatians 3, Paul says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that was quite a radical thing to say in Paul's day. For there were many dividing walls between people, walls of hostility. But you see, when you confess Christ, Christ becomes your identity, your worth, your marking. And Paul's not saying uniformity, you know, everyone is identical. No, he's not saying that, but he's talking about unity. The walls that divide us are no longer there, they've been abolished by the gospel of Christ. And think of our congregation here today. Think of that. It doesn't matter if you are in Christ, whether you are single or married or divorced. If you are in Christ, it doesn't matter what type of visa you hold here. If you are in Christ, it doesn't matter what educational level you've attained. If you are in Christ, it doesn't matter your age, your race, your gender. Because through faith in Christ, we find our common identity as children of God. Yes, God has answered this prayer, even if we don't do a particularly good job of living it out. Jesus prays that those who believe in him will be with him forever. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. This is a prayer from the other side of the cross. Upon the resurrection of Jesus, upon the resurrection of those who trust in Jesus, the final destination for those God has given to Jesus is that they would share in his eternal loving glory. That they would be in the Father's house, in the rooms that Jesus goes to prepare for them. And we will not be destroyed by the glory of Jesus as Isaiah and Moses could have been. No, we will delight in the glory of Jesus. This tapestry is almost finished, but not yet. As we have seen, God has answered much of Jesus' prayer in chapter 17. But God is still answering this prayer. Look at the last two verses, verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for, for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. There is still a world that does not know the Father and the Son. There is still a world that the Father and the Son love. Jesus is continuing to make himself known to people in the world. Jesus to this day is calling people to God through the message of the gospel. Jesus to this day is still giving the gift of his Holy Spirit so that those who believe in Jesus might live in him and he in them. And as people are being called out of the world by God, and brought into the love and the glory of Christ, God continues to answer this prayer of Jesus. And more and more is added to this beautiful tapestry. Let me finish with a few things to think about. And the first one is this. Jesus prayed for you. I'm always encouraged when people tell me they've prayed for me and when they pray for me. I find it so humbling to know that people have brought me before the true and living God. They have asked things for me in the presence of God. It is absolutely humbling. How humbling is it then to know that the Son of God has prayed for you? This week... When you feel that following Jesus, that trusting and obeying him is impossibly hard, I want you to think about this. In the hour of his death, with the enormous weight of your sin and my sin about to be heaped on him on the cross, Jesus knelt before God and he prayed for you. And he prayed for the impossible that you would share in his glory and his love forever, freed from the burden and the condemnation of your sin and the death that you deserve. And after praying, Jesus got off his knees and he walked to the cross and then he did the impossible. He bore the cost of sin and death that you would know eternal life by believing in his name. And that is why God can answer Jesus' prayer for you. So this week, I don't want you to forget that he knows how hard it is for you. And he prays for you. And nothing is impossible for Jesus. Secondly, for those of you who have been perhaps coming to this church... For the last few months, maybe this year, maybe you have been exploring Christianity, maybe you've started to read the Bible, maybe you've been coming back to God after a period of wilderness, of, of dryness, you're coming back to him. And I want to ask you if you are ready to believe in his message. See, what Jesus says in this prayer today is that, There is no other way to share in God's love. There's no other way to share in eternal life with God except by believing in the name of Jesus. You see, I I don't think that it's a mistake that you're here today. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that somehow you clicked on the website and that's why you're here, that somehow your friend brought you here today. Because you see, I think Jesus has been praying for you. And God answers Jesus' prayer. Believe in him and you won't regret it. Now, for, you, for those of you who have believed in Jesus for some time, I, I want you to ask this question. Do you share the heart of Jesus? You know, when you look at this prayer, does it take your breath away? That the eternal son and the eternal father did not keep love and glory to themselves. You know you know what they're not saying? Why should we share this with them? Why? They hate us. That, the world hates us. We made that world and they hate us. Let's keep this to ourselves. That's not what they say, is it? Do you share the other-centeredness of the Father who loved you so much that he sent his only son Do you share the heart of the Son that sent his disciples into the world to testify about him? Do you share the heart of Jesus who prayed for you at his most desperate hour? You see, friends, you cannot read this prayer and be a selfish Christian because that is not the heart of Christ. I want you to look at your life honestly And if what you see is a selfish heart, then you need to meditate on this prayer. You need to go home. You need to read it again and again. And you need to ask God to reveal its truth to you so that your heart melts with thankfulness. And then what I want you to do is to pray like Jesus, to pray with his heart to pray that those in the world who belong to Jesus would believe in him. I want you to have a heart for mission, just as Jesus did. You know, it's not just missionaries, is it? It's not just those we send overseas. It's not just those like me who do this for a job. The heart of mission is for all of us that we play a part in sharing the message of Christ as the disciples did. God is still answering this prayer by bringing people to believe this message. And wherever you are in life, whatever station in life you're in, when you share the gospel of Christ, you play a part in the answer to this prayer. But you won't do that unless you share the heart of Christ. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son might glorify you. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me wherever I am to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Let's pray. Gracious Father God, we are are blown away by this prayer. We are standing on sacred ground as we see the relationship that you have with your son Jesus. Before you made us, before you put the sun and the stars and the moon in its place, you loved and you shared in this glory. And we are humbled that you would even want to include us in this love and glory. Gracious Father we thank you that Jesus although facing the death of facing his death on the cross we are so humbled and so thankful that he would pray for us. Thank you Father that you answered his prayer that you protected the disciples you sanctified them that you gave them the measure of joy that they would proclaim this message that we have found that you have brought us to believe in. Father, please help us. Help us to believe in this message. Help us to be one as you are one. Help us, Father, to proclaim this message with whoever will listen. And may you answer these prayers for your glory and the glory of your Son, Jesus.